Hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody, to the Whistling in the Dark podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Bradley, and I have back by popular demand, Dr. Adam Steele. Hi, great to be here. This is episode 54, and today is Sunday, August 16th, 2020. Um, So we have two, I think, topics that we're going to try to hit today, uh, try to keep it tight. And... um, (laughs) And then veer off uncontrollably. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So I think the best would be to start with Bolton's book. Um, Because I think, it. well, we'll see if we'll veer off uncontrollably there. And then really we just want to do some uh, coronavirus updates as far as, you know, where where are we at um, today? Yes. I had an interesting chat with my my mother about the... uh, the latest and what she thought was going on. So that, that was kind of an interesting thing. And then, uh, and then uh, time permitting, maybe we can make fun of Kamala Harris and Biden. <laughs> it's, <laughs> or, it's really almost too te- easy, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not really making fun of her. Like she, she's yeah. just living her life, right? She is who she yeah. is. It's, mm-hmm. she's not, it's more of just the hypocrisy of, how they landed on those two. Uh, I know. But anyway, time time permitting. Maybe it'll time be in a, a bonus episode if we don't have, uh, I, don't, I don't really even know what the time constraints are, but uh, time yeah. permitting, we'll get to it. Yeah. So please take the floor. I would give, why don't you start with a little background of who Bolton is and right. uh, you know why we love him so much. So Bolton has been in government for a very long time. He held uh, positions, uh, I think, at the level of like undersecretary or something like that, way back into like the uh, George H.W. Bush uh, administration. Um, but undersecretary of anything specific, or just is that a that's just uh, a, a it was role. it was. I don't remember uh, specifically. I think it was like some kind of under. Uh, he was either some kind of undersecretary of defense or something in the national security. Uh, advisor role. Um, I know that he worked with uh, Schultz, who was a Secretary of State uh, back then as well, um, George uh, Schultz. Okay. Um, but he, he's been in government for a while, but he didn't really rise to any prominence until uh, George W. Bush's administration, where he was the fiery UN ambassador, uh, basically making like the strongest uh, case possible for the administration for going to war uh, in Iraq in particular mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of castigating the body uh, of the UN for being so uh, noncommittal on that and, you know, sort of, you know, in part refusing to to do their responsibilities with respect to like looking for nuclear material there and questioning whether they were doing a good job uh, with the inspectors and all of that stuff. Um, and he was pretty effective uh, in that role. I think that he he lost some of his luster uh, after Iraq turned out so poorly. Uh, but that was pre- predominantly what he was known for. That and his giant uh, funny mustache, of course. <laughs> That's like, if uh, anybody yeah. has. I'll link to a picture of him. I'll, I'll try to uh, keep that in the show notes. <laughs> or at so least yeah, if, you, if the name doesn't sound familiar, the mustache will look familiar, and yeah. you may recognize him from that. Uh, so he was kind of not doing as much or mostly just doing commentary during uh, the Obama administration. And of course, he wrote another book then uh, saying uh, how Obama's foreign policy wasn't uh, strong enough and this and that and the other thing. Uh, And then 
more recently, and the reason for this book was he came on as the national security advisor for the Trump administration uh, midway through. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a year or two, year or two in, he came in, and this was interesting because, uh, as I'm sure many uh, anti-war folks like yourself were hoping. Trump came in with a lot of uh, rhetoric suggesting that he was skeptical of uh, our international involvements and perhaps desirous of pulling back on them. And so Bolton being named his national security advisor, and he is like, like I said, he's a very famous super hawk in yeah. calm. Like, it's <laughs> like, there's, we got to fight, got to fight all the time and, you know, got to have sanctions, massive sanctions, mm. unbelievable sanctions, no, <laughs> no foot off the gas on the sanctions. Right. Uh, I mean, he's he's contemporary with like Cheney and Rumsfeld and stuff. I mean, he's part yes, of that of crew, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So exactly. Maybe people can maybe you can get that into your head, uh, listener, yeah. to, to to put him put him on a scale, like on a scale of <laughs> I don't know to Donald Rumsfeld. He's Donald mm-hmm. Rumsfeld, basically. There's right, and the, the three of them would would you know go out and make the case for the war, essentially. Which I will admit that I was uh, in favor of at the time, uh, less so because I uh, thought that I was fully convinced of the WMD, but more so because I thought that that regime could be removed and a representative one could be put in place without the level of bloodshed that was eventually experienced. Mm-hmm. So. Admitting my own uh, flaws in this regard, uh, that was where Bolton came from, basically. Yeah, a lot of changes since that time. You were you were kind of a gold bug, and you were sort of a war <laughs> a bit a bit of a bit more of a war hawk, and now you, you're really changing your tune. A lot of lessons uh, a bit learned. More. I was never I was never super into the gold, but yeah, yeah. I was much more credulous of the attitude before the financial crisis. It and made the, a lot of sense to me. The dollar, the dollar, I guess, is really yeah. is maybe the thing that you changed. Yeah. Tune on the most. Yeah. Anyway, the, the so, different show topic. Different show topic: the evolution of Adam V. Steele. Uh, but we're here to talk about the evolution of hey, uh, Bolton and Trump. <clears throat> Uh, So he comes in as national security advisor, and it's very interesting. So this book, which is – the book is called The Room Where It Happened, um, is kind of – it was really uh, kind of eye-opening for me because Mm. it's – while you can't take everything in here at face value, it really gives uh, at once interesting, uh, on the other hand, boring, on the third hand, like just – make you crazy look into like what actual governing is like uh-huh. like what is it like to be in the white house it's like um, it's amazing uh it's not really sh- nothing you were reading here will really surprise you uh-huh. but at the same time if you're the kind of person who thinks that like there's a lot of really serious discussions that go on in, in the white house uh there's a lot of stuff that goes on there that like where it was like way above our heads or we couldn't understand. Or there's like mm-hmm. a, a huge amount of integration of information like this kind of puts that to bed. I mean, the White House is a bunch of lawyers, a bunch of people like trying to keep control of their turf and a bunch of people making guesses when they don't have very good information. Mm. And that that is the executive branch in a nutshell. Um. So that's one that's one aspect of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So so Bolton comes in and he's what's interesting is that he is at once aware that he doesn't seem to align very well with Trump. 
but he wants back in. Like mm-hmm. that much is clear to me. And so he's willing to take this job. Now, why Trump tapped him, it's not totally clear, but I have for a lot of the people that Trump hires, I think a big part of it is he doesn't know that many people. And so he's going to be reliant on others to make, give him recommendations and then pick from them. And Bolton had defended Trump uh, for like uh, some of his serious stuff very strongly on Fox News. And Trump watches a lot of that. So he probably saw him on that, liked him defending him and said, oh, okay, maybe I can work with this guy. Okay. Uh, Now, he comes in there and the beginning of the book is him saying like, oh, I know I I wasn't elected to this role. I'm an advisor. You know, it's my job to put the options on the table and the president to to act on them as Uh he sees fit. I think that he wrote this book over a period of time because not like 30 pages later, it becomes abundantly clear that him and basically everyone else in the cabinet's entire job is trying to decide for Trump what to do and limit the palette of options Uh so that he can only do what they want. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it seems like that, again, as far as like in the spirit of not being surprising, that is what I would have guessed if you had to yeah. guess how it was going. That these, yeah. So, so there's. I'll give you. I'm gonna like pick out a few like scenarios from the book to tell you what this is like. So early on, you got at the Secretary of Defense, and you got Bolton, the National Security Advisor, and uh, uh, in Syria there was a chemical weapons attack that they wanted to respond to. Uh, Bolton. So they all have a big meeting. Uh, They wind up like Bolton and Mattis and these guys like all like kind of scream at each other, but eventually converge on saying, "Okay, well, we're going to give the president like a low, medium and high option for a response. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's clear that like Mattis doesn't want to do as much as the other guys. And so basically all Mattis, since he's the secretary of defense, he decides what's actually going to happen. You think the president decides? He Mm -hmm. doesn't. So (laughs) basically... They decide, okay, we're going to have these three options. We're going to present the president, and we, but we have to respond within some reasonable time frame so that it's clear that we're responding to the weapons attack with this. Mm-hmm. Like having it be fast is somehow important to them in showing that like this won't be tolerated. Mm-hmm. But when the time comes to give the options, Mattis just rolls into the, the Oval Office and is like, here's, here's two options, one that's ready to go and one that could be ready soon. And they were both like two of the low options. The medium and high were just never presented or even given as a possible option. (laughs) So the president, he had no option to choose those if he wanted to. Uh, And so Bolton was like furious and freaking out. And uh, but basically like Mattis, because he controls that part of the bureaucracy, just gets to do what he wants. Yeah. Interesting. That's a little surprising. Just looking just again, that that specific event, like Mm -hmm. it did seem that. You know, there was a response and obviously, you know, like you're saying, it was within a time frame that it obviously was connected to that. But it ultimately seemed to be a somewhat innocuous response. Like it was just a safe face, just to show that we were going to respond. But it really I don't think they really killed. I don't even know if they killed anybody. They remember them like I think they had rocket attacks on like empty airports or something weird like that. Or they had enough time to get yeah. out or whatever it, it was. was. Um but I was right. under the impression was not hitting any Russians. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah, yeah. That's a well that's that's smart. Um but you know I would have thought that you know Trump had chosen that from other much more like, you know, high uh high uh impact 
responses. Interesting. No. Anyway. Nope. Go no. on. Nope. So, so I mean, what, whether he would have chosen is like left to the reader's imagination more or less. Right. But basically like the... So it's, you know, it's a great example of like what control of like the actual actual bureaucracy that implements these things can do for you. So that's one really good example. Uh, another good example is, you know, despite Bolton's rhetoric early on, uh, later in the book, uh, there was the question of uh, responding uh, to some things that Iran had done. Uh, this was like after they canceled the nuclear deal with them. Uh, Europe, of course, really wanted it back on. Uh, Bolton certainly did not. Uh, Trump said he didn't, but it wasn't really clear where he came down on this. Um, and it got to the point where Bolton, so so Macron, the president of France, wanted to set up a meeting between Trump and the foreign uh, minister of Iran. And this was like just Trump meeting with someone from Iran, Bolton was like, I'm out of here. I'm going to quit if you even meet with this person. Uh-huh. So so we go from like, my job is to present options to I am going to quit and force you to find someone else if you talk to Iran. Uh-huh. So that's another example of like, you can have any president you want, but unless that president has like full control over the bureaucracy and like the people around him who will like actually implement what he wants. Like he can't do anything really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, I guess he can just like keep firing people, but like ultimately the secretary of defense is got to like implement what he wants. And if every secretary of defense refuses to do it, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess he could do an executive order where he absorbs the secretary of defense's, Uh, responsibilities into his own (laughs) job. But there's someone who has to do the actual work there. And like, if you fire someone, then you're on the back foot for probably months, getting them up to speed before you can do anything like uh, aggressive. The other thing that you learn in this book was that Trump was intending to make good on his uh, withdrawal of troops from uh, Afghanistan and in Syria, right at the beginning of his presidency. Mm -hmm. Basically, what happened was Mattis convinced him that he could defeat the Taliban if Trump just let him do whatever he wanted and gave him all the resources he needed. Mm -hmm. And so that failed. It failed utterly because, you know, as people may know, like the Taliban has been getting like moving from strength to strength. And the situation in Afghanistan more or less has never looked worse. Yeah. Um, And so that that push like failed completely. And for the rest of the book, they keep talking like, because Trump keeps bringing this up in the meetings and they and Bol- to Bolton, this is like, why is this guy keep bringing up the same thing over and over again, what, what Matt has told him? But to me, it was an inset into his mind. Like, I don't trust any of you mm-hmm. to tell me what's going to happen if I do what you want. Yeah. Because like, I get promised things and then they don't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so it's like, it's it's clear that he doesn't really, like Trump is like, not well equipped to do this job because he is also like unable to control his subordinates and they're constantly like fighting each other and fighting him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there is an effort. There was an effort on his part to make good on some of these promises, but he was, he is convincible by his people and yeah. then that fails. Um, yeah. So he's getting around to it now, sort of, I guess they're talking yes. about getting it down to 5,000 people or 5,000 yeah. some troops. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. It's not. It's unsurprising that the the 
the latest push failed. I mean, how many, you know, how many swings do they need at the Taliban to, uh, to like make it happen? One would almost right. think they don't actually ever want to win. They just want to keep it rolling. They make all the money taking the swings, not, not in actually that's, the victory. That's one view. Yeah. yeah. The other is and the one that I hold is just that like the, the Taliban is in this for the really long haul. You're going to have to kill almost every single one of yeah, them. Yeah, if you yeah. want to win this fight, they've been there for a very long time. And America just is not that interested in devoting the resources that would be required to fully like secure this country. Yeah, it just it's not of interest to us. And so it's not surprising that with the resources that we are willing to put in, we're not going to be successful there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I mean, look at what happened to Russia trying Mm -hmm. to fight, you know, the same crew. Exactly. Exactly. Similar to our, you know, like they always said, they want it's like give them what wasn't that the whole thing was supposed to be like Russia's Vietnam. But then the the absolutely unbelievable thing was then we made it our own Vietnam part two. Part two, yes. (laughs) This time it will be different. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, so that's, that kind of leads me to believe that, I mean, now granted, right? I think that it's quite possible that these dudes are just like ultra alpha males that are, they don't look at it as like, oh, well, I mean, we'll be able to, you know, crush mm-hmm. the Taliban. Like, I don't know, those idiots that were in charge back in Vietnam or the, the stupid yeah. Russians, you know, you know, we're or the last or the previous 18 years right, before. Right, right. I'm mad <laughs> dog Mattis. Like, like, I'm going to yeah. make it happen. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's also like the idea that like, you know, that possibly there and it could be a whole mixed bag there could have been some people that were like i don't care what happens i'm just you know i'm glad the money's gonna start rolling in and that's why i've been Mm -hmm. lobbying and stoking up the the you know the 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 flames of terrorism or whatever but uh whatever it is i mean it it's a uh it's a it's just a a gigantic (laughs) complex mess uh, that's right i don't know and so another big po- go yeah, ahead no i was just I, I don't know that there is really a succinct you know there's probably a mix of true mm-hmm. believers and people that are barely even paying attention to like what right. who's winning or just you know trying to get their company more contracts or you know whatever but Anywho. That's what's conspicuously absent here is that like the, no point does Bolton say we can definitely win this, you know, if we put in X, Y or Z resources. The view is, I think, among everyone who's still supporting it there that we just have to say we're going to have people there forever and that there's going to be like a low level of losses in terrorism. But the Taliban won't be able to fully take over the country or control any territory as long as we keep this base there. It's like it's like staying in Japan forever, except they're always also fighting you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just never ever stopping. Oh my, uh, yeah, that's okay, that's so, wild. So, anyway, yeah, let's keep it. So, so to moving out of that, like there was big fights over uh, having like having the negotiations with the Taliban, which is like something that's necessary if you want to like maintain any troops there or just really wind down is some kind of negotiated settlement with them, basically, mm-hmm. where some areas could remain autonomous or there's some power sharing agreement. And those it's interesting because it's like on the one hand, they don't want him to withdraw the troops, but they also object to him having talks with the Taliban. Mm-hmm. And like, I understand the idea that talking with them empowers them, but 
if you're going to need to get out at some point, like this is a necessary thing that you would need to do. Yeah. Um, and I guess his, give, his stance is he just doesn't want to pull out. So why talk that's to right. him? So, yeah. Uh, so I'll give one more pro, pro-Trump anecdote from the book. Uh, it ran at one point down uh, a Predator drone, so like an unmanned aerial vehicle. Uh, you know, we claim it is uh, in international waters. So, like, just assume that that's a given. And they were looking again like this situation where it's like, oh, we're going to have a response. Uh, and they, they put all these responses in front of Trump. And basically everyone at the whole table is, yes, we should do this. Uh, we're going to uh, fire these missiles at these uh, batteries or these places where they could shoot back at our predators' drones, and then, and and a casualty estimate of like 150 people would be killed comes back to Trump. Bolton says it's BS, mm-hmm. uh, but that's kind of neither here nor there. But basically, Trump decides he doesn't want to kill 150 people over an unmanned aerial vehicle and calls off the strike. Mm. And this like enrages basically everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but to, but but there's some something to be said there where it's like the guy decided that like we lost a piece of hardware. I don't want to kill 150 people. Like, yeah, like I, it, like there's some morsel of his soul left in his body. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that and that's probably like the most like specific thing you see in there where you know it would be like you know this is someone who actually does. Like for all like the, his like tough guy rhetoric, like there is something there that doesn't want to be responsible for a bunch of people getting killed. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's a bad characteristic in a president, but it's a good characteristic in a human being. <laughs> right, right. No, I mean I think it's great. I think it's like the only saving grace almost of him. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, we mentioned it. I think in the past. I, you know, I don't personally really know i i know that he claims and his supporters claim a lot of deregulation uh but i'm not yeah i don't know much i I mean i'm not saying that he didn't do it either i just i just don't really know about that so i guess i leave that open as like another possible you know plus plus for him i guess it's always so non-specific when they talk about that too like i've heard deregulation like a ton of times but nothing no good examples that i could be like oh that was a good idea you know kind of stuff so so there um, was a one recently wasn't it a prescription drug thing or something remember we had meant we wanted to talk about it we forgot Yes, I didn't look into that enough to to yeah. have any thoughts about it. I um, only got as far as the numbers or stuff that that Trump, I think, was talking. So you know, I'm going to assume that the impact was far less than that. But um, okay. it's supposed to help, I, I think, with um, you know, like uh, diabetics, like uh, um, the insulin and stuff like that. I, I don't remember exactly what all of it mm-hmm. was, uh, but it yeah, it was it was interesting, but. Nonetheless, back to old uh, and then the giant Bolton. the two yeah the, the, I'll just leave with two things that make him look absolutely horrible in the book are uh, number one is uh, to help the Republicans uh, midterm reelection prospects he like fully laid out on the table he wanted he's like Xi Jinping you have to buy more agricultural products to help us in the farm states and I won't say anything about your horrific human rights abuses <laughs> it's just like directly said pretty much yeah uh so so you've got that which is not so good uh and then you have uh the whole ukraine thing which is like 
100% clear from the start that, like, Trump wanted to direct uh, the the Ukrainian government to basically – he was withholding these funds that Congress had appropriated for the Ukrainians to buy weapons to fight the Russians. And it's 100% clear that he was willing to withhold those funds until he got concessions from that government uh, – vis-a-vis looking into Biden, Biden's son, this mystery server that probably doesn't exist, uh, and or uh, other things. And he is, he was absolutely, which is, and it was really weird. What seems to set him off is he's absolutely convinced that like people in Ukraine are out to get him. Like that even though this government has changed from like a totally pro-Russian one to like a pro-Western one back and forth, like through that time, he became convinced that there was some part of that government that was withholding or hiding like incriminating information on the Democrats inside the Ukraine. It it almost doesn't make any sense. And it's clear that Bolton was not privy to all of those conversations. Uh, But that's, that's basically what was going on there. He was, what was his position again? National security. Yes. National security advisor. Right. And so basically there was this money set aside for the Ukrainians to buy weapons. And then, at some point, Giuliani or people connected with Giuliani come in and they're successful in convincing Trump that the someone in the Ukrainian government is like working against him and or has access to incriminating information on either Biden or Clinton or something. It's never really substantiated. And he certainly didn't have the authority to withhold uh, those funds, in my view, uh, based on that perception, uh, basically to get something good for himself in exchange for releasing those funds. Uh, and that's not surprising. It's just like Bolton basically being in those conversations where Trump admitted as much that he was willing to hold back those funds. Yeah. Yeah. I heard people say that. So, you know, what, I mean, what is it to Bolton? You know, what's the deal now? I mean, Bolton's basically saying, yeah, I mean, if Bolton had testified to this. Okay, so go ahead. W- w- Trump, you know, I mean, it, the case would have been far stronger, right? And why? Okay, so and here's he what happened. So isn't there an issue with Bolton? Well, yeah, this? so th- th- I was, what, this was my number one question going into the book. It's like, oh, okay, so if you know all this stuff, why don't you just testify at the thing? So here's what happened. There were two people uh, that needed to be, uh, that, that were subpoenaed to testify. Bolton and some other guy in a similar position was part of the executive branch. And so Congress says, we have the power to, com- power to compel you to testify. And the executive branch said, uh, we have some kind of executive privilege that we can prevent you from testifying. So then Congress went to uh, the judiciary, as it should, saying, you have to resolve this interbranch conflict. Uh, or actually, so uh, that was what would normally happen would be the judiciary would resolve it. Mm-hmm. But because Congress didn't want the judiciary to resolve this conflict, they withdrew those subpoenas. Oh, so they never the, really and, like they basically just didn't subpoena John Bolton. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. He says. Uh, let's see. uh uh uh-uh. Oh, that's right. No, the guy who was subpoenaed, excuse me, it was the guy who was subpoenaed went to the judiciary and said, you have to tell me whether I have to testify or not. Mm-hmm. And then the, the subpoena was withdrawn on those basis. Now, you got to remember that the impeachment stuff was mostly about this Russia 
collusion stuff. It was not predominantly about Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Congress would have needed to have done its job and gone for the long haul, really made this trial a lot longer and gotten gotten its ass in gear to get these people in to testify who really knew this. And I think they would have had a better chance. Now, you could say it ever had any chance because of the composition of the Senate, but I still would argue like it's their duty as Congress to do this thing. But basically, they didn't do what they were supposed to. And so he was they were left in limbo. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. I I um, I never felt uh, I don't know, like strongly about the um, Ukraine stuff. I always find it one one of the things with with things like this, you know, um, it's like to me on the the ills that are done <laughs> by the federal government that this seems so benign like it's so mm-hmm. small like i just feel like this stuff happens all the time like everybody is you know uh like trump saying uh you know hey you know you buy all this agriculture stuff and and i'll stay quiet about x y and z you know how awful you guys are and I mean, I, I would just assume that's like, why would anybody give anybody anything? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's they're normally getting something back. But but I often find like, yeah, it seems like all of a sudden, and this is not just with Trump, but just throughout, you know, life, uh, watching these, you know, things unfold in, in government. It's, it's like all of a sudden there's just this hyper focus on this one thing uh and and like this which maybe it's just like hey we actually have enough evidence that we can move forward and normally people cover their tracks better or i i really you know i really don't know i mean the monica Lewinsky thing came down to like him basically lying under oath right yes yep yep um that was that was what we actually got in trouble for yep yeah so it's like, like that's the best. De- that's the best defense of it that I've seen is that like this is among the bad things that people in government do all the time. But it's so hard to like quantify. Like, is that true? Is it not true? Yeah. Or what? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I yeah. I mean, I, I mean, guess I guess it's like the things that we consider very bad are eventually, essentially done technically legally. You know? Absolutely right. Um, so they're like irrelevant to this question but, <laughs> for well, the regular well, What about like the whole you know uh, the the Iraq War, like the yellow cake uranium, and and I, I right. I'm pretty sure that somebody forged documents in that. I mean, this was like a this was a conscious deception that mm-hmm. went to the UN and you know on the American people on Congress. I mean, they presented yeah like. It was a deception which started a war, and I mean nobody even talks about anybody ever being, you know, brought to task for that. Yeah, I mean it only matters insofar as Trump is still in office. None of this stuff will matter to anyone if he loses the election. Yeah, I guess so. Ukraine will never be talked about again. So, and it's like, yeah, I mean, there could be a ton of ills that are in the past, but basically, once the person is not in power, there's no. It it takes political capital to like bring these cases forward, and no one's going to expend it on someone who doesn't matter anymore because it's not about principle for these people. So you don't think Hillary's going to ever get her day? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, so give an example, like just just to try to be fair, is that like. 
Obama it was caught on a hot mic saying to Mendevev, like who was the president of Russia between Putin and Putin, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I'll have more flexibility after the election. You know, yeah. it was this whole like, like, you know, back off, you know. I'll, so, you know, there's some extent where it's like, I'll give you this, you give me that. And like where the, this is something that's politically useful. Mm-hmm. Like that happens. It happened to the golden boy Obama. So, yeah. you know. There's historical precedent for this. Now, I'm not one to say, however, that if we can if we can get somebody for if someone can get caught for it, I kind of think that it should be uh, prosecuted Mm -hmm. because I want people to be scared that this shit will get them into trouble. Yeah. And if and if and if the thought is, well, you could pretty much always get away with this. That's not a world I really want to live in. Yeah. Um, and and it's like what to me like the the severity of the crime like whatever this thing with trump is so minor it just it's like whatever but deceiving the country into war with iraq is huge like there shouldn't be any you know uh statute of limitations that just happens right when you're out of office um you know, it's awful, but like you yeah, said, like you, who's going to do but it? You should know, Pat, right. Yeah, you know, that at the highest levels of, of governance, like in the world, like it's not, there isn't like a government per se, it's anarchy. Yeah. It is, it yeah. is anarchy. And it's like, you can do whatever you have the power to do. Mm-hmm. There isn't like a super police force that's going to like have justice be done you right. know it's like whatever you can take whatever you can do between nations you don't think those checks and balances are, are working out between <laughs> the th- i feel like they yeah i thought yeah, they, they had it figured out it, you know it's a system that works to some extent but i don't right, see right, right, the bra- right. i don't see the branches as being like they're supposed to be jealous guardians of the power that they have and i definitely don't see that being the case uh right now particularly with regard to the legislature because it seems clear that like if you're a Republican in Congress or a Democrat in Congress, you would sooner side with a Republican or Democratic president respectively than like the Congress as a whole. Like that seems to be the priority. Yeah. And that's why, you know, it's hard to even say that, you know, to what extent do we live in a government that's just controlled by one person? It's a pretty huge extent at this point. I mean, the guy can, declare more or less war unilaterally mm. i mean he can he can cause forces to be deployed that brings the country into war regardless of what congress says after the fact mm-hmm. right and he can uh cause funds to be moved there and there at the tune of like tens or hundreds of billions of dollars without like congress's say so mm-hmm I mean that that sound doesn't sound like an executive branch. Doesn't sound like a legislature passing bills and the executive branch doing what Congress says to do. Yeah. It sounds like like a like a limited monarchy of some form mm-hmm. where it's mostly the king acting and then there's some check on his authority if he gets really out of hand. Yeah. Yeah, and I I mean I guess they make a big deal out of that really picking up under Bush, young uh, uh, George W. Bush. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I forget that guy. I remember uh, learning about that. Somebody that was on his show, this is an Asian dude that he was just like the master of, you know, uh, sort of the 
political John philosophy. Wu. Yeah, yeah. I think, it, I think of, it was Wu. Yeah. Of uh, sort of the the power that he, he essentially basically like argued through some sort of like constitutional law or whatever that the president almost has just like unlimited power. Um, yeah. And they started well, doing it. Th- th- there's, there was, there's some confusion there because there is this thing called the unary executive, which is, I think is also something that he has pushed, but that's a little bit different. There's the one idea, which is all of the executive authority resides in the president which is not nearly as controversial. Mm -hmm. Um, That's basically just saying that like the the executive branch, all the powers in the president and he can like do whatever he wants with the stuff that's in the branch because he's the only elected official in that branch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then there's the uh, different, there's different things, which is like how limited is the president's authority, which is like a wider discussion. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, is that any any other nuggets from Bolton's book? No, I mean that pretty much covers it. Like wh- what he thought going in there, like a few of the key incidents that happened, and the like why he didn't actually testify if he had all his useful information. Um, although I will say that, like for the most part, like, what's in here pretty much got into the public consciousness sort of before it was published. There's some like inside baseball stuff, of course, which to me was really interesting and in seeing like how government works like on the level of actual people, which yeah. was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's pretty cool. Um, so kind of on the uh, continuing this subject, but maybe broadening it a bit is uh, why do you think, well, first of all, I would, I'm, I'm making the observation that Trump has been under fire, unlike any president since mm-hmm. before he even took office um and all the way up to now i mean it's i i you know with just talk of impeachment literally before he's even you know inaugurated uh you know i i mean it you know it wasn't like this for george w bush and i uh, mm-hmm. i think it was a like maybe a little bit hotter for Obama from the, the Republican side, but still nothing, yeah. you know, coming close to this. And, you know, obviously Clinton, you know, actually went through some stuff. So I don't, and I'm not, I don't really know, you know, how, how, you know, I, I was a bit too young for, for to really pick that up, but it certainly didn't seem like yeah. it was under the nonstop uh, fire. But, you know, what do you, what do you think is uh, like behind that? You know what? I mean, have we ever seen a national security advisor resign or get fired or whatever and like publish a book in the same year, you know, outing the the yeah. president? I I don't know. It does seem that things are happening on a faster time scale. And I think that I think that social media is part of it, actually. Hmm. Um, I think I think it amps everything up. Um, I think that the president makes it easier to attack him because of how much he says Mm. i think that if you like most of his like a lot of his reversals particularly from the court have been as a result of tweets so if his achilles heel is like twitter Mm -hmm. if if he just did what he wanted and said less he would be able to have a much freer hand Mm. um now in terms of like why the opposition is 
so much stronger? I don't actually know. I mean, maybe there's, maybe it just, you can make more hay out of it these days. And that would just be like a social media thing, I think as well. You can amp people up, you can get the donations to the party, you show mm-hmm. you're opposing him at every turn. Um, it yeah. may just be part of a trend, like from, from uh, George W. Bush to Obama to Trump, and it'll continue into the future regardless of who's elected. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, with just how, you know, politi- politicized this this impeachment thing was, I mean, it, it didn't matter. I mean, that was mm-hmm. my feeling. Like, I mean, there was no way he wasn't going to get impeached in the House, and there was mm-hmm. no way, like, it didn't mm-hmm. matter what the evidence was that he that they were going to, whatever they call it, confirm it or whatever I know. in the Senate. And it, it's just like— They didn't like, even call any witnesses in the Senate, yeah. yeah just like, nope. Um yeah, and and uh, it's you know, I mean, I, I didn't. Well, like, here's, a, here's a preview of the Biden administration. Right. It's from from day one, the Republicans uh, start an investigation into whether Joe Biden has dementia yeah. and whether like Kamala Harris is running the government, and that persists for two years until Joe Biden dies in office. <laughs> Oh, and boy. then there's like a constitutional crisis whether or not uh, she can take take the office of president because she knew at the time or something. It's like yeah, you can envision something. all kinds yeah, of crazy yeah, yeah. scenarios. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I can imagine the Republicans are going to you know want want to uh, get some vengeance for. You know the uh, just the nonstop onslaught, and I mean, and what about? You know, the stuff that's come out. Oh, I'd actually, I don't know where I put this. Um, there there was an article. I think somebody was actually pleading guilty. Um, no, that's the wrong, wrong notes. There it is. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find this. What's someone, there was a guilty plea just recently? Yeah, connected saying? connected with this, with the altering of, of um, or the, yeah, something yeah. with the FISA, FISA applications and, and, and um, basically misleading the courts. So I, I don't remember who it is, though. Right. Do you remember? Yeah, I, I heard about that, but I don't, I don't know that, I don't know the details there. John um, Yu. But okay. basically, John Yu, yes. Mm-hmm. But basically, this is all like, CYA stuff, you know, uh, the, the FISA court is just completely, you know, out of control and it was a rubber stamp on everything. And it, you know, it, this has been known for a very long time. Um, yeah. So I, I don't even know. I don't, it, it's like, okay, so let, let's say that one person gets in trouble for s- submitting like specious or, or like not well supported evidence to the court. It's like, well, do you think that didn't just happen another 150 times? If, the court has a fundamental problem is that and that's that there is only one side. It's not like a normal court where you have one side arguing one thing and another side arguing the other. Mm-hmm. It's more like, you know, when you go to a judge to ask for permission to investigate someone. And and we have a system there which is one sided and the judge is supposed to like say, oh, it's enough and evidence to start an investigation. But the reality here is that the FISA court wields such unbelievable power in digging into like every aspect of someone's life. And the implications are so great for for our uh, democracy that uh, the standard should be much higher than it is at a minimum. Yeah. Uh, then weren't the FISA courts and they wasn't that uh, created under George W. Bush? 
I, I so the FISA court no, the FISA court has been around since the seventies. Mm. Uh, basically, let me see. I, I don't want to mislead the audience, but my understanding is that the FISA was there, and but they were used much more aggressively starting in the George W. Bush administration, and it led to more controversy. Uh, yes, nineteen seventy eight. Um, uh huh. Yeah, I remember and, something. Maybe this was another you, John Yu thing, where he and he may have argued for like you know giving it greater authority or something. But the basic idea here is that organizations like the CIA and the NSA aren't supposed to like operate inside our borders. Um, but I but I think that the FISA court gives them the authority to work on people who are supposed to be spies, like if they're inside our borders. But in reality, like. This led to like an investigation of a guy like Carter Page, who was just working on a campaign. Mm-hmm. So whatever the system is supposed to be, it's completely broken down, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, these organizations, you know, I, I mean, even in the absence of, of FISA court approval, like it seems from the stuff that Ed Snowden put out that these organizations are just running hog wild recording and watching just about everything on the Internet anyway. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, so, that, you know, that, there's a, yeah. So there was an ahead. interesting documentary uh, yeah. movie put out by Millie Weaver. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I, I don't know if you got a chance to look at that, but it, it, I did it, not it was watch a, it. It looked it, it's no. interesting. She it's called Shadow Net, and um, mm-hmm. you wouldn't, um, I wouldn't classify her, classify her as you know, um, previously as you know, a, a, a really serious person, um, as far as investigative stuff she's done some stuff um but she's kind of good at being on the ground at protests interviewing kind of people that hate her and stuff and she's very attractive (laughs) woman so you know that so that's pretty striking in in this in this Uh um kind of world when you see this you know really good looking woman out there just like and the uh the like antifa people are just like (laughs) freaking out in front of her and she's just somehow like i don't know i don't know she's got uh she's got some stones but um she's she really got her start with alex jones uh doing some kind of contract you know reporting or whatever but like you know for that and she sort of broke off doing her own thing um i'd say she's like doesn't tend to be as you know quite as unhinged as as uh jones but anyway i she had done she actually this is the second thing pretty recently that she's put out like since the lockdown that have has been interesting to me uh, one was um a lot she had uh do you ever hear of project veritas they're they're pretty yes. cool project veritas so they kind of get whistleblowers people to kind of wear a a camera Mm -hmm. inside of you know uh cnn they had one with that so this person was in like a lot of the morning planning meetings with like the i don't know president i don't know how cnn is uh set up but like the big big wig there basically like dictate telling them that like you know like basically all this like anti-trump stuff and they got to keep you know whatever uh, mm-hmm. So they do stuff like that. So she had a very similar style um, thing with a, a, um, a couple of organizations that are uh, just really super like left, like very like communist, and and uh, 
they are supporting the Black Lives Matter. I don't know if she was in particular in Black Lives Matter, but this one was called Sunrise something. Anyway, um, but she she like had actually had people like had their calls like recorded, you know, like the Zoom mm-hmm. meetings where they're teaching the people what to do, and you know, in in just plain language, a, a woman telling, and there's like young people on this call you know like i think def, like people under 18 you know they're 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 mm-hmm. targeting youth and saying that you know burning down and destroying buildings is like a reasonable thing to do or whatever you know so it was like what and uh so yeah. um so it was like pretty pretty good stuff it was interesting and um she talked a lot about like kind of the funding stuff and trying to show what these organizations are connected to anyway she just put something out on friday <clears throat> called shadowgate which was um a couple of insiders i guess people that had worked sort of in intelligence and they had moved from uh one guy was a ex-military guy that went into the private sector and um another was i th- i don't really know exactly what which she was the whole time but she worked a lot about um kind of like how you sort of can control groups of people and uh, kind of like what information you know you're supposed to kind of develop and look for and then how you use it like that's essentially like her career is supposed to be a built built around that and then now applying it in a more technological way you know at a larger scale and trying to use artificial intelligence to help with the data collection and then mm-hmm. you know the the use of it but you know she claims that they use this to control elections in Afghanistan and then Ukraine and then that to mm-hmm. some extent they applied it, um, you know, in the U.S. and you know for mm-hmm. 2016. And one one thing that was interesting is they were talking about the Cambridge Analytica and and all this stuff. And and you know, Millie was sort of confused about it. I mean, she was like, "Well, if they were, why would you? Why would they create this thing to support Trump <laughs> if they don't want Trump?" And she was like, "Well, first of all, like." what did it ultimately do to the normal person? They look at it as it's a Russian thing, right? So in the end, it was bad for Trump, but it might have, you know, I don't believe that that had very much effect, but, um, mm. and, and, you know, but during the election time, and they basically were, were saying that they actually didn't want, because um, there's a guy, uh, Jim Jones, <laughs> James Jones, general, it's a general James Jones. He's been like, you know, national security advisor, all this, you know, all this stuff. So apparently like, and he, he had a bunch of these companies, um, like private companies that pick up these intelligence contracts and then build this technology. And then it gets really shade, like really gray as to like, where is all this data? And you know what I mean? Like it's, it, it, it's uh it seems like these private companies that are sort of building this infrastructure are able to like retain like a really ridiculous amount of of data and and mm. and sort of uh surveillance and and whatever and they keep getting you know they'll own the intellectual property and carry that on to the next thing and um mm. but apparently he was he is like not a big fan of Hillary so like what the she I don't remember if it's both of them, but they basically the claim was they actually want did want Trump to win. 
And uh, but they wanted to impeach him, and basically they wanted to get to Pence because they felt like Pence is the guy you can work with. Like Pence is a, <laughs> you know, he's a company man, and they we don't really want Hillary. And I don't know, it was like, is you got? Sound I mean, convoluted. you got it right. It's very complicated, <laughs> and the whole thing was sort of, um, you know, I, I don't know to some extent take it with a with a grain of salt, but it's also there's a lot of verifiable stuff in this. So I, I mean, I think it's worth watching. I haven't really tracked down, you know, a lot of it, but there's a lot of specific claims about specific companies doing specific yeah. contracts owned by specific people. You know, you have Roger Stone as part of this and Manafort and then them both getting taken down mm. and that being like I, I an watched the first, topic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I watched the first 15 minutes and, you know, insofar as the claim is the government has contractors and they develop software to know what the interests are of particular domestic groups and, and what they like and what they hate. It's just like, yeah, of course that's happening. Like, yeah, that's not. That's not even surprising at all. Right. So that was, I would say like, it would be the parts that would be interesting would be like this, the, what are they trying to accomplish? And they're like, I probably not going to believe these two randos all that much unless they bring some proof to the table. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know. So I don't know much about this, the woman's uh, identity, but the guy, uh, he, I've seen him on another thing where, um, you know, he's, he had, like he is who he says he is at least still doesn't mean yeah. what he's saying is true but at least he's mm-hmm. like got some verifiable credentials and you know yeah. and and all this stuff and um yeah i yeah like you said so one of the i don't know if i would say it's debunking it or whatever but one of the the sort of counters is that their claims are very grandiose and mm-hmm. what like what can you really actually do you know what do we really um, and this, I, I was listening to another guy who was supposed, I think he's like ex CIA or whatever. And, and, um, you know, and he's, he's much more focused on like the blackmail stuff and, and, you know, like whatever, like the Epstein, Mossad, all, all that, you mm-hmm. know? And so he's not like, I don't think he's trying to like sugarcoat what the government does. He just like, yeah. doesn't really, he's just like, there's just way too much data coming in and you, you like, they, mm-hmm. they are not able to process it in any sort of real time sense that that's right. It's concerning, uh, you know, to, to like your average person, you know, I don't know. Right. I mean, you can pick, so, pick uh, in, in, you know, in f- specific points um, that may help then, you know, do some more control, so, but. Anyway. Well, I mean, what Ed what Ed Snowden says in his book is that basically after nine eleven, uh, there was the, the anger within the intelligence community that they had missed they had missed data, they had missed signals that this was going to happen, and so and, and even more than that, even after the fact, they couldn't pick up the pieces. Now, there's an acknowledgement that they can't analyze all of this stuff in real time and make the connections, but there is a strong desire that is being. Uh, acted upon now that at the very least they would record everything and then later say after the first attack or something took place they would be able to go back into these massive databases recording basically everything you do online and put the pieces together to find out who was involved and be able to go work against those people Mm -hmm. that's where our government's uh efforts were focused yeah uh, in the years after 9-11 according to him and which is just like it's just it's so plausible and it fits everything else that it's just like it's not it's just like it's very uh, easy to believe that that's yeah. what they're doing. 
Yeah, yeah. And in that case, it's not directed against any specific person, but I still have a problem with it. Right, um, right. I mean, you're And not... they still were not acknowledging what they were doing in these various programs, PRISM. Like, you know, first they say, oh, we're just collecting the metadata. Then it's like, oh, yeah, well, we are really reading your emails and we have backdoors into Microsoft and Google and Yahoo, <laughs> yeah. but don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, that's not the same thing at all. I mean, if they, like, if you said, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that oh the NSA is literally tapping every single phone call in the United States and yeah. recording it. Yeah. Now they're not in real time analyzing it, but they can always go back if they want to and fuck yeah. over anybody they want. Like that's yeah. the problem. Is people, you know, it's like sure. I mean, I don't think that they're tracking me, you know, in real yeah. time. But if I do buck up and become an issue for somebody, yeah. well, then there's a treasure trove of data to look through and to figure out, you know, right. what are my weak points and, and how can they, how can they leverage me? You know, like, so. And that's what, that's exactly what Snowden calls turnkey, like totalitarianism. You know, it's like all the pieces are there for someone to just go click mm -hmm. and to act upon this stuff. If the right people are in control of this apparatus as it has been built, even if it's been built with the best of intentions. Yeah. Yeah. It's unsafe. Yeah. 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 It, it's not. It, I mean, it's just it's it's like complete violation of, uh, you know, uh, the Constitution. I, I, I don't. Yes. I just don't. I, I don't get how. Well, like you said, I mean, it's just like you, you know, it's, it's anarchy at the top. It just obviously mm -hmm. they can do it. <laughs> Well, no, they, they have they have secret memos, Pat, don't you know? And, you know, they want to start one of these programs. And so they get one of their lawyers and they say, you have to write, you know, we have to figure out how we can make this legal. Mm -hmm. And and then they, they write the memo. Um, I would recommend the movie, uh, The Report uh, on Amazon about the, this is about the torture. This isn't about any of the NSA or the intelligence stuff, but that was a good movie uh, uh, that you can watch about like, the steps that were taken to sort of justify these enhanced interrogation programs and how like you can always find reaching enough the authority you can find someone to write down that you have the legal authority and then put that piece of paper into the drawer so uh -huh. you can pull it out if it's ever necessary which it really rarely is yeah <laughs> oh yeah and i mean i feel like these things then they just have their momentum you know like mm -hmm. now i mean you literally have an entire industry built around <laughs> The fact that yes. they can tap into all of this, all of this yeah. data, and there's all these corporations. And now, I mean, according to the Shadowgate documentary, I don't think that these are necessarily corporations in, in a long, like they tend to like come and go very quickly. But you see that mm -hmm. the, the board members are all the same and sort of shuffling in between. Um, but, but yeah, you know, that's, it's, I, I've, I feel like that there is something of a, a legal shell game occurring with the reason that these exist. One is obviously you can enrich yourself better. So mm -hmm. James Jones, General James Jones, you know, he receives whatever salary he receives, you know, and then he retired, whatever. But then for the rest of his life, he can like get these contracts and, you know, get yes. a real, real nice um payday off of all those and there's no mm -hmm. um you know i don't think that there's any competition because you know uh 
I don't know, Scorch. That was one guy. Uh, Scorch is the guy that built some some system like for the Ukrainians and then he came back and he was a big part of, I, I think he, he was, he's part of the intelligence community here and possibly part of this whole uh, Trump Ukraine stuff. Like some, I don't even know which side he was on. I forget, but, <laughs> but he like, you know, built some system for the Ukraine uh, Ukrainians and then was like back here or whatever. And it's like, so, you know, one you know one year you got you got like Manafort or whatever you know awarding the contracts to James uh Jim Jones in the private sector and then Jim Jones is back in government and now Manafort's in the private sector so now he's giving him the con you know I mean it's 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 kind of as you said before no not surprising but um right. I honestly haven't heard a ton uh, or seen much of people like really trying to document it in in the way uh, that that they did in this. So you know, okay. anyway, I don't want to you know go too far off there. But also, Millie Weaver got arrested the same day that the documentary <laughs> went out. She's been sitting in jail all weekend with her husband, and mm. uh, uh, they apparently had a sealed indictment. So it's only and and then charges are. Uh, apparently there's something to do with like robbery, tampering with evidence and some other like serious charges. (laughs) Yeah. Very serious. I don't, I I mean, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) It seems like bonkers to think that this chick would just rob somebody and destroyed evidence. But what, you know, we will see. Um, I I did hear a little bit. Yeah. If it's true, like that stuff's been weaving its way through the court system for a while now, probably like well before she even was making this little documentary, unless it's been being made for a very long time. So that's why it's just like the idea that they're connected is a little bit, uh, I don't know. Well, one, one idea with that in mind is that they've been sitting on this. You know that it that's a sealed yeah, the, the indictment. State, uh, the so the claim what people the, think charges at the state level though, like the, the the allegation would be that like the federal government is going after her for like revealing their secrets. But like these are charges at the state level. Like the state attorney general is involved somehow. Like maybe you don't maybe they Jim, got all the state. Att- yeah, dude, Jim Jones has all the state attorneys in his pocket. Like so many. I forget. That's a Godfather line. There's now. more people so involved many, now. That, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. so many. You have so Don many. Don Corleone judges, yeah, has all so of them, all judges. of the judges in his pocket and he won't share them. Yeah. <laughs> but like so many, I forget. He says he has some judges in your pocket, like so many, blah, blah, blah. And he won't share mm-hmm. them. But anyway, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty sure Jim Jones has got all the <laughs> state attorney. Right. I mean, I don't know, but it, it is uh, an amazing coincidence that literally the day she put it out, she gets locked up. Uh, so Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see, you know, we'll see where that, where that goes, but she is in jail right now and she released Mm -hmm. her documentary on Friday and she's been in jail. And I think Monday, you know, tomorrow morning, she'll be able to, I guess, answer the charges or or whatever. No, it's up on YouTube still. So, so like, you know, you figure if they really wanted this gone, it would have been off YouTube. So interestingly, right, I, you know, I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, wow, you know, they didn't take it down. Um, but if you look, oh, well, <laughs> if you look at it, click the link I gave you, it says this video has been removed for violating YouTube's policy on hate speech. Uh-huh. 
Oh my goodness. But okay, so there's so there's but yeah. YouTube's been removing so much now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean they, you know. Uh so the interesting, interesting thing is that link I gave you um wasn't to her channel. I I didn't realize mm. it at the time. That was somebody else just like put it up. You know, I guess because I they see. knew it would get taken down or whatever, so people start to just like pass it around and everybody tries to upload it. Um was was there anything in it that you think that they could have a fig leaf for that ju of a justification that it was hate speech? No. no. Uh That's funny. Yeah, I mean that seems like a huge reach. I I yeah. I mean I don't think like doing some uh Yeah, it's uh, gone. That's interesting. I'm trying to think uh god. <laughs> I have to go back through it, but um I it doesn't, you know, because it's not like this isn't her going. So I think that the instant you say anything against Black Lives Matter, they'll just say that they can, you know, they'll be like, oh, it's hate speech and they can take it down. <laughs> but I don't yeah. believe, you know, this was all just like intelligence stuff. Um, yeah. A lot about you. Anyway, uh, I, I, I don't I don't recall, you know, anything. In particular, I, I bet a lot more of her videos um, have things that they could much, much more easily consider hate speech. But like I said, yeah. I went back and looked and I actually never I'm looking at her channel now and I don't think it either was taken down right away or she never actually uploaded it to her channel. Um, OK. I know it's hosted. uh it's interesting when you search Alex Jones um, in Google, his website doesn't even show up on the first page. <laughs> uh, I'm tired. I mean, I, I yeah, think that there's a people lot. People need of, to start moving away from all of these companies. Yeah, let me uh, let me do it in uh, DuckDuckGo. I don't know why. I, yeah, DuckDuckGo first result Infowars, as you would expect. Um, so he has band.video, that's what it's called. So he has a website, band.video, and that should have, uh, that has Shadowgate the full film. So, I mean, right, it makes it more, whoa, it makes it more compelling, right? Sure. <laughs> it's it's, 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 one, little, it's one little piece, yeah. Yeah. So. I like, like, why should, why should YouTube care that this little video is up, like, you know, maybe it's automated. Maybe this is like you have a horde of people willing, ready to, to complain about it. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, yeah we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. But so, I definitely oh. don't like uh, Google anymore. Yeah. So the biggest um, the biggest bombshell in this thing, and I I felt like they didn't treat it as such, unless I'm just a little bit out in the loop, and this was already known. But this woman. Uh, the woman Tori, who's who's in this um, in the documentary, was she? Ba do do you know the like Seth Rich story, the DNC I, I, staffer I, I, that got I, murdered? He, yes. Yeah, I've okay. heard of him. I know that he was. I know what you just said, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, so not it's not. Ton. I know there was a conspiracy <clears throat> theory that was uh, put forth 
saying that he was murdered and it wasn't just a random street crime and that his family was very upset when people started saying this. Yeah. So that's more or less where, um, where I'm at. I I've never really heard compelling evidence connecting him to the Mm -hmm. leak, you know, the DNC, like the Mm -hmm. actual, you know, that would explain then how, how the information got out. Um, but I've heard things about just the way the murder happened and like that mm. nothing was stolen from him and it's just sort of an odd, you know, that that type of stuff. Um, but this woman just straight up was like claimed that she she knew exactly what happened and just like explained it that, that she said. And she said the she was like the way she said John Brennan. Oh, Brennan. That was the other name that came up a lot was Brennan and James Jones. So Brennan was kind of like her boss, you know, and she basically was like, this is what they do. They like, it's hard to tell, I guess, the difference between like the level of, again, right? This is just her words, you know, what or well, me totally putting words in her mouth or paraphrasing horribly, but this is the gist of it is like, they like the whole point of her coming out is like, we, you know, me as just like a private contractor or working for, you know, some company that has a government contract. Like I have absurd access to, to data. And, you know, one time she said there was some, and I, I have no real recollection of this, but apparently there was some, passport controversy with people accessing McCain's passport and uh, Hillary Clinton's passport. Something like that, yeah. Turned out that they thought it might be the same. Later, it was like, oh, they think it's the same person or blah, 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 whatever. So this woman claims that Brennan directed her to go to whatever office this was and like copy this data or whatever, get this data, you know. And so she did and she brought it back. And I think, like, if I recall, I'd have to watch again to, like, really. But I recall, like, in her mind, this wasn't, like, it was a relatively innocuous thing. Like, this was work, you know? Like, she wasn't thinking, like, I'm hacking into, you know, sort of rolled in there and, like, did it. And nobody, like, stopped or whatever. Later, she sees all this passport stuff. And she knows that that is in the data that she took. Like that's mm-hmm. like part of it. But she said what was really uh messed up was that somebody else had to come behind her and put the new data in that had the changes. And then Brennan says there's a hack. And she's like, that's just his MO. He does whatever he wants, and then like he does the changes he wants or destroys the data or leaks whatever he wants, mm-hmm. and then he just goes, Ah, we got hacked. <laughs> <laughs> he does it over and over and over again. And she said, this is essentially like what happened with Seth Rich. Like Seth Rich okay. was asked, and he's just like a DNC like staffer, like whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's supposed to like copy this data to whatever, something. And uh, forgive me, because I do not even remember remotely what the sort of network technological structure of all this stuff was. But so we'll just... I don't know. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure where he put it or what, how he copied or what he copied. Apparently, it was a, a ton of data, though. And she was just like, yeah, we all knew it. And we and this was like juicy data. And so she basically said like her and her like work buddies all took chunks of it and put it, you know, and saved it. And then like mm. later, um, 
Well, so Seth Rich then goes to a guy named Sean Lucas, a lawyer, and then he does something about uh, he he actually files some legal motion or whatever regarding this. And Seth Rich gets murdered in July. Then Sean Lucas dies dies uh, in August, a month later. And they're just like sitting on this data that they know came from him. Uh, and I, so I apologize if it, uh, I'm being a little bit like vague about it because it, it was kind of confusing. But like the basic thing was like she is essentially just blaming John yeah. Brennan for this and saying like she had it and like yeah it's it pretty was, wild yeah it was crazy it's great pretty great she but claimed the, to be the, involved the in two big things yeah yeah the fundamental problem here though is just this lady saying these things right like when Snowden came out he had all the data it was like a hundred and it was released in such an amazingly beautiful way where every day there was one new revelation and they would deny what was just about to drop the very next day. And it made <laughs> yeah. them look like a bunch of fools. So, And there was no doubt by the end that this was 100% real and 100% what was going on. Yeah. And, I mean, this lady's, so like, like, existing why, in the United States, right? Like, Tory yeah, is... Yeah, come on, not, <laughs> yeah. And, well, and... Snowden had to hide in Hong Kong, and then, you know, now he's been in exile in Russia. Yeah. And he wasn't alleging anybody shot anyone. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and, I mean, I guess if you, like, really, like, listen to what she said, she doesn't really say anything. She just claims to, like, know that... Mm -hmm. Seth Rich did this and that she had some of the data her, herself and then that uh, mm -hmm. sh that Seth Rich, you know, was in communication with Sean Lucas and then yeah. they're both dead. Like she, I guess, if mm -hmm. I recall, like I feel like she doesn't really say anything, yeah. um, but she sort well, of I'm lays sure out the saying, pieces. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure whatever she is saying, it's like goes against whatever oaths or clearance she had at that time. And <laughs> She either is not considered a threat or it's a bunch of BS. Right. So. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think with, with stuff like this, it, like I said, I mean, that, like, that was just like this mega bombshell that was in there. And, um, but, you know, I think looking into just like the sort of web of companies and, and stuff. And then also, yeah. you know, the, the Manafort and, and, and Roger Stone stuff was interesting and mm -hmm. um, the Cambridge Analytica stuff, that, that's probably a little bit more verifiable. Uh, but this woman has remained anonymous. Like, they, nobody, like, she has never revealed her actual identity. So it's a lot okay. different than the other guy. The guy is oh, like, okay. he is himself. And he has, mm -hmm. he he's actually been, like, working through for years, like, with trying to like affect the change like in government you know what i mean like talking yeah. to people in in government and everything like this and so i don't know according to him this is sort of sounds like you know maybe a different tact of just like mm -hmm. you know maybe if if it gets some press then maybe people will start to put more pressure on but yeah but i mean but at the end of the day the lady showed her face on it right yeah so oh, yeah, they yeah, know yeah. who she is so they definitely know if she yeah. were their bit were unless they're all just like hold on who is that <laughs> they're yeah, seeing exactly. this later. john <laughs> brennan's like nah, i mean she's like 
Isn't Have that the janitor? Yeah, is that? I don't know. I don't, maybe. I know. Maybe we should just kill her just in case. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Anyway, I, I thought it was uh, an interesting in, in video. And I would say that Millie Weaver has certainly stepped up her game. So I will probably watch the uh, next thing that she puts out. Okay. That like that. And um, I don't know if you have a, a couple minutes or not to just give uh the latest coronavirus situation i'd say that yeah um the one state that still i believe is increasing in cases is illinois but they have not seen the subsequent uh increase in death so i feel like there still might be that one kind of second wave outlier or you know one out there um Maybe they had a they had some deaths in the first one though, and like Maryland is kind of in the same boat as Illinois, where there's a there's a second bump uh, of cases which looks significant if you compare it to the first. But here's the key: is if you see a state where the cases go up, down, and then up again, don't take at face value that that second bump, even if it's the same height as the first, represents. The same number of actual cases in because the state. Of, yeah, because of the because, testing. Go ahead. Because no, of the testing. And, you can, and I can show you how that's the case. So if you look at, say, Maryland, um, it, our first peak occurred like in mid-May. Uh, and at that time, we had like a, like a 17 or 18 percent uh, positive testing rate. Uh, now we had a second bump, which peaked like August 1st. Mm-hmm. And the positivity, which is almost the same height in terms of number of cases as the first bump, mm-hmm. but our positivity rate was on the order of five uh, percent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so you got two bumps, and someone says, "Oh my goodness, we're having a second wave." But the reality is that it probably is the case that there is a, on the order of a third or less fewer cases in the actual environment, mm-hmm. and so the number of deaths you would then lay, expect is commensurate with that, which is precisely what you see if you look at the number hospitalized rather than the number of cases. You do see a a skin bump, but it is absolutely tiny compared with the first. Um, So that's that's how to interpret the data. Now, in terms of where we are, every single region in the U.S., and if you look at, like, the Health and Human Department of Health and Human Services, they have, like, the country divided into 10 regions. Mm -hmm. Every single region uh, over the last month... uh, the number of hospital admissions for COVID-like illness has dropped precipitously by over a factor of two. So it looks like this wave that we have seen over the last few weeks uh, may be like the only uh, one we're going to see. Like it's not resurging in so many new places that the number of cases is going to stay high again. Yeah. Uh, and any in any region. So uh, it may well be the case that in a few weeks. Uh, it's really going to be telling whether or not we wind up seeing more cases after that. Because if we don't, then, you know, what are they going to (laughs) say? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But the the stats are looking really, uh, really good. Of course, we're still having a lot of deaths, which is tragic. But uh, in terms of, like, uh, thinking uh, this is going to spiral out of control and we're going to be having thousands a day like that's that simply doesn't look at this time like it's going to happen yeah so i i i mentioned that i talked to my mom 
a little bit. You know, we have our, our weekly uh, chat on Sunday and mm-hmm. I catch her up on the latest in the libertarian world. And she <laughs> tells me about her and my stepdad and taking walks in their garden and stuff. So it's pretty good. <laughs> and yeah. Um, But yeah, so she, you know... Uh, I was just saying like, oh, you know, like, uh, you know, things are, things are looking pretty good and, you know, whatever. And she was like, well, you know, about like Florida and California, it's getting bad. And I was like, no, you know, we're like, no, you know, we're on the (laughs) other side of it. And she's like, you know, I know. And then she made the, the, the statement that New York is doing a good job. And then I, and I asked her, I was like, what do you mean Uh. by that? (laughs) And so it's what I the gave, TV told me, Pat. Right, yeah, you know, and I told her. I mean, and the thing is, she really doesn't have an excuse because she has me as a son. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> most people like don't have this information ever spoken to them. Like it never yeah. crosses them once. And um, you know, her, I'm, I'm telling her like I'm telling her this stuff every week, you know? And and I'm just yeah. like, well, what is it, you know, and and so I just went through the ex- the like first of all, they actually did the worst. So let's not yes. let's let's uh, let's not call the state that did the absolute worst job dealing with coronavirus as doing a good job because it was terrible. Yeah. And even like, you know, it's probably quite true to say that yes, they're probably at, at herd immunity or something you know resembling that now. Uh, and they probably mm. could have gotten there with significantly less uh, fatality than they did. You know, so I, yeah. to me, like that's why they did such a bad job. It's that, you know, the the you know in that. But whatever. But basically, it's the point is just what other explanation do you have for their having, you know, when they went under the lockdown? I believe they were at something like twenty or thirty deaths a day. When the George mm-hmm. Floyd protests during those weeks, they were at 100 to 200 deaths a day. So mm-hmm. why wouldn't that just spark another wild outbreak? You know, they're way more open to me. That right. Like, yeah. give me any explanation that is not herd immunity. You know what I mean? Like, any explanation for it. Like, why aren't your cases I, climbing out of control? Like, you, why? You, you never you never are going to say with 100% certainty that people's behavior hasn't changed. Like, you could always say, like, oh, people are social distancing or whatever. But it's it's the kind of thing that's, like, ultimately, like, unprovable. Yeah. But people will grasp onto if they want to believe that this is the only way we have to, and the reason certain states do well versus bad is like government policy. I think you could say with some pretty good certainty that during the initial lockdown, people were mm-hmm. more separated than they were after the lockdown in New York. You know what I mean? Like, it's true. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, because like people are not wearing masks and social distancing in their homes now. Like nobody's doing mm-hmm. that, not not regularly. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure some people are, but um, but yeah, like I feel like you can't like it, it. You you have to say that like there is more, you know, physical interaction uh, and and whatever germ, <laughs> however germs interact between people today than there than there was. Um, yeah, you know, back in 
late March, early May, when they were seeing a thousand deaths, you know, per day, they were more locked down. It's like any way you look at New York, the 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 worst occurred during the lockdown. And I feel like the only like saving grace is to say it's hard to say how much of a lag there is from cases. Yeah, I don't know if you heard that last week when I was talking about it, but I think I saw like one state you could see a three-week lag and other states you can see a one-week lag. So give them the benefit of the doubt that there was a three-week lag and you could maybe say the peak could have come just from the cases that were like right when they started locking down or something like that. But yeah. I, I was like, you're really like squinting and turning your head and like giving like every possible out. Or you just go with the That's obvious right. that it's like you hit herd immunity. Like and and still, well, why would it go it, down? And why wouldn't it go back up now? Like it, it, I just you know, like there's just look, no anyway. Yeah, and it it's I agree with that completely. And Again, like going back to our first podcast, Sweden should represent the absolute worst case scenario if you believe any of those other theories, Mm -hmm. right? They never locked down. They haven't changed their policies since the beginning. The number of deaths per day went up and then it went down. There was no second resurgence. Nothing has changed. And they're down at a very, very low number at this point uh, of deaths per day. Certainly their, their deaths per capita as the country is high, but the number per day is now very low. And nothing can explain that other than because the poly, government policy hasn't changed, right? Mm-hmm. And the number of deaths has just steadily crept down. So what explains the fact that they're not seeing a consistently high level of deaths every single day forward? Yeah. It's very difficult to come up with an explanation that isn't there is some limiting of this virus that's occurring of policy yeah um so you know it i'll i'll I'll, we'll put it we'll put an image up with the uh with the podcast but you know what what is the explanation here for people who are huge fans of continued like sheltering in place yeah there is there really isn't one and all and every single there and again in the united states there has not been a place where there was a second wave with significant deaths yet. Mm -hmm. There just hasn't. Several places show a second bump in cases, but again, that second bump, if you scale it down, is not that high. And the number of patients in the second bump for states that have it is also quite low. Mm -hmm. And the policies in Maryland have not changed except for getting more open since that first peak. So what explains the fact that we're the second bump that we did see is resulting in fewer hospitalizations. Um, so, so that that's where we stand, and I'm I'm very optimistic going forward. We took a lot of people got hurt, a lot of people got killed, but there's every reason to believe that this phenomena is limiting itself either through people's changed behaviors or through some natural dynamics of spreading the virus. Yeah. Um, and and the first of those I think is less probable than the second at this point. Yeah. So outlook is good. I'll. Uh, I think outlook is good. Yeah, I think we'll so leave it too. at that. Cool, cool. Well, we. Uh, I think we went over time. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we we can uh, we can end it there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any closing words? Any stuff? Um, I I feel like we've had some topics we want to 
been been sort of putting off but i feel like we got to get back to some economics stuff at some point did you get a chance to hear my my little theory on the localization of inflation no i'm gonna i'm gonna re uh um but yeah okay so we'll come back to economics soon yeah it's pretty uh, interesting i mean it it, like i felt like you saying that kind of got me to be like okay like i've had you know thought the same stuff so you know can i can i make any explanation from it and I'm, i mean i'm sure somebody else has done this before <laughs> but <laughs> uh you know it seemed it seems like it, it it holds water pretty well i discussed it with one one other uh person um that you know a person that would be able to give some some pretty good pushback if they saw something wrong with it but anyway we'll keep, save that to the next week um all Sounds right good. cool well, thanks for right, talk coming to you out again, and I will talk Thank to you. you soon. See you later, everybody.